You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. This is your host, Mike White, and I am speaking today to Brian Hunter of the Michigan Theater and Cinetopia Film Festival. If you are in or around the Metro Detroit or Ann Arbor area, I highly recommend that you check out the Cinetopia Film Festival. It is one of Michigan's premier festivals. There are only a few, and this is one of them, so check it out. Enjoy the interview, and be sure to attend the festival. Brian, this is Cinetopia 2017. How many years has the festival been going on now? Uh, this will be our sixth year. Sixth year, it's our third year in Detroit and Ann Arbor, and, but, but our sixth year nonetheless. Is there a focus to this year's festival? Because I know it's always like the best of the fest. Is there any particular themes that you're exploring this year? It's a programming team, and I should be the first to say the programming team has grown every year, which is is good because you get a lot of you know you get a lot of sounding boards, you get a lot of different eyes and lots of different things. Uh, I'm lucky to work with a lot of funny and a smart and really amazing people uh, who really like movies and really have good taste in movies. So that's always a benefit as well. Uh, in previous years, I would have said that we go into a festival. And we sort of let the theme find us. We sort of see, you know, as we're going through these films from Cannes and Berlin and Sundance and blah, 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 start seeing the, 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 what's going on in the zeitgeist, what's, what's out there. And for, so, for example, last year, um, it was last year, uh, the, the theme that we just noticed was this sort of like coming of age. A, a lot of stories of, of, of people growing up, whether they're teenagers becoming adults or 40-year-olds becoming 50-year-olds, whatever it was, lots of movies about growing up and personal discovery and we thought that was a really interesting thread and it just was there it was just something in the zeitgeist and it was the thread we picked up and followed this year it was a little more interesting and i don't want to say it was not as organic as that but it was it's pretty close to that but it was just different and and in a weird way kind of thrilling kind of weird kind of thrilling so we work with a lot of Detroit partners. We work with Charles Wright Museum. We work at the Arab American Museum in Dearborn, the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn. And one of the things that very, very early on from our partners that we heard is that because this is the 50th anniversary of the Detroit Uprising, that that was important. That was an important thing to celebrate. Not, not the Detroit Uprising itself, but uprising in general. I grew up with it being called the Detroit Riot. And the connotation of riot is so heavy. When you flip it into uprising, you start talking about the personal and the individual uprising that happened in, in that moment. You know, you start to see themes of uprising were important to our partners, so they became important to us. And then as we started to look at the what was out there, what was playing at film festivals, what was in the zeitgeist, 
it was uprising. It was already there. It was already in front of us. So it's really easy to talk about threads of uprising when you have films like Whose Streets about the murder of Michael, Michael Brown or Charlton Claremont from the Free Film Festival about the Detroit uprising. When you're talking about something that's uprising at a national level, I think people take notice and it's, it's hard to sort of ignore that stuff. But the thing that we were most excited about was sort of the, the personal uprising that sort of littered these films we were seeing. There's this movie in the festival called In Between. It's an Arabic film. It's um, about three women living in Palestine, their, their roommates, and trying to sort of find this balance between traditional and modern culture. Just sort of, it's a conversation. It's women in a room having a conversation. But even in that moment, even in that film, the themes of uprising are, they, they just come at you. It, you know, whether it's religious uprising, democratic uprising, fashion in the Middle East and what women wear. I mean, there's just so many things in this movie that are very real and personal. I mean, I can only imagine. But just looking at a film like that, to me, it's the same as a movie like Who Streets. To me, it's, it's the same. It's people figuring out, you know, last year we played this, that Norman Lear documentary. And then just another, another version of you. And in the movie, he says, Something along the lines, he used to tell his daughters all the time that you you have to like people, you have to like everybody or something along those lines because they're just another version of you. And that's like one of the things, I hold on to that because I think it's a really like sweet kind of quote. I have a three-year-old and I think that's like a really good way to like explain people. They have their own stuff. They're just another version of you. And it's funny, just these threads of uprising, either personal uprising, uprising at a national level, uprising at a religious level, I mean, they're just, they were just there and it was thrilling. It's hard sometimes to piece these things together. And this was one, like, you know, it was almost overwhelming. Um, if we didn't have that threat, if our partners, if this was the 42nd anniversary of the Detroit uprising, it probably wouldn't have been as meaningful to our partners, to, to the city of Detroit. It's still meaningful, but not as meaningful. But for me, it was, I mean, that stuff was going to be there. Our theme would have been uprising regardless of we were in some anniversary, regardless of what political climate we were in, our theme would have been uprising. There's just, there's just no way, there's no way to say it any differently. The theme is uprising, but it doesn't mean like, that's a really heavy, heavy theme to drop on people, I think. So obviously we have, it's the 150th anniversary of Canada. So we're showing this film window horses, which has won literally every Canadian film festival award that you could possibly win um and the interesting thing is Anne marie fleming is the director it's this animated film if you saw boy in the world it's the same sort of sort of colorful palette of um, of animation she actually won a an ann arbor film festival award a few years ago so it's like a cool little call to home so to celebrate canada's 150 we, we you know we have window horses and also june's global pride month and one of the things that is important to me as a programmer but it's also important it should be important to everybody, but personally important to me is make sure and re-showcase LGBTQI films. I think it's important to to show films of high quality from around the world, different viewpoints on homosexuality. These are our brothers and our sisters. I don't want to be some Pollyanna, but these are our brothers and our sisters and our aunts and our uncles. And if you can change one mind or if you can make somebody think a little different about homosexuality by showing a movie, I mean, that's that's my small contribution to that. I can just show movies. I want to show films that that are going to hit people. And, you know, we have a film called I Dream in Another Language, which I saw at Sundance in January. And it blew me away. It blew me away. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, I walked out of it and I was like, I almost feel like I shouldn't talk about the LGBT side of this film. I almost feel like I should ignore that because it's just a really, really powerful movie. But it's hard to ignore something like that because it's the, 
crux is an overstatement, but it's it's an important part of the film. It's an important part of the story that they're trying to tell. You know, it, so to show to have a Spanish language movie that deals with homosexuality and LGBT issues is pretty amazing. We have a movie called The Wound uh, from South Africa. I loved Moonlight last year. It's kind of hard. It's like the understatement of the year. Um, I love Moonlight. Moonlight isn't a film you should you should really love, I guess. <laughs> um, but Moonlight is this amazing, powerful film. We saw this film at Sundance called The Wound, and it sort of picks, I don't want to say picks up. You know, I think the thing that, one of the reasons Moonlight resonated people because it was, there's um, an emotional an emotional reno- uh, resonance to it that, you know, you sort of, you can put yourself in that situation. You can, you can, you can think of people, you know, and sort of see that, that lens of masculinity and homosexuality through an African lens. You don't get to see that every day. And especially a film that's really, really, really powerful. So those are our, our three big threads. I mean, that's a long way for me. I mean, our main thread is uprising, but we'd be remiss not to talk about Canada 150 or um, Global Pride. It's just, and even like, there's even connections between the two of them, between the three of them. You know, there's a, a film called Quest, another film that I saw at Sundance that blew me away. You know, it's a family in, in Philadelphia getting by. It's a cinema verite thing. I thought it was super powerful, kind of a mind blower. Like I can't say enough about it right now. But the it's an LGBT movie. It's a it's a race movie. It's a family movie. It's a, I mean, there's so much going on in it. It's just stunning. It's just stunning. And it, it's a film that I, I'm, I'm really proud to say that the programming team wrestled with. Uh, one of the things that we strive to do is be authentic and be authentic as we possibly can be. And a movie like Quest, once the, I think it's going to find its audience in Ann Arbor and Detroit. I think it's the type of movie that has way too much heart to ignore. I just haven't, I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen a document. I've seen, you know, we watched over 400 movies for this festival. I've personally seen over 200 movies so far this year. Quest was the best documentary I've seen this year easily. And it's probably one of the best documentaries I've seen in the last five years. It was a new director's new films. It was at Sundance. I'm sure it'll play everywhere. It's playing at Cinetopia. It's just a powerful movie. And but there's an, an LGBT thread in the Quest. There's, it, there's an uprising thread in Quest. So just to see those things come together, it's, it's pretty great. What is the relationship between Cinetopia and the um, Arab Film Festival? The Arab Film Festival, as I understand it, predates Cinetopia. Um, it was a festival that they did in Dearborn at the Arab American National Museum. And we just kind of became partners. We were already friends and we thought we were already working in the same, you know, working towards the same goals. And, you know, for us, it's, it's a, you know, Dearborn, Michigan, it's what is it, they say the highest population, the largest population of, of, of Arab speaking people outside of the Arab Peninsula. So it would be a mist for us in Southeast Michigan. You know, this isn't an Ann Arbor festival. This isn't a Detroit festival or a Southeast Michigan festival. And, it would be a miss for us to go into our own backyard and not celebrate the Arabic culture, but specifically Arabic culture and film. And so we work with Dave Syria at the Arab American Museum. He's a wonderful partner of ours. We sh- show a series of films at the Arab American Museum. And I, it's funny, I was just saying this to a distributor the other day. It's its own thing. You know, the Arab American Museum is very, very good at like looking out, looking out their window and seeing all the films out there and bringing some of the best films to that film festival. And we try to bring a few of those into Ann Arbor and Detroit as well. We want it to op- we want it to feel like their own festival, but we also want 
people that we want, we want to support it. We want people to go to the museum. We think the museum and, and its staff are wonderful people. Um, so it's sort of like slam dance during Sundance. It's another film festival happening. You know, it, it, a better example would be, it'd be like if slam dance was in the Sundance guide, you got your Sundance film guide in the mail. And in the back, there was a whole other section on slam dance. It's a little confusing for people, but, um, we would be remiss not to showcase Arab films in our, in our festival. We always have before the Arab film festival, we showed Arab films, my daily 365 day a year programming job at the Michigan theater. We show Arab film. It's an important part of Southeast Michigan's culture. And it's just, a, we want to celebrate it because of that. It's ingrained in us. That's what the Arab film festival is. Us. They're our neighbors. And if we didn't celebrate it, it would just be, it would just be a miss. And so we like to celebrate it. We like to, we like to bring, we like to bring films from the from the Arab Peninsula here to to Ann Arbor and Detroit and Dearborn, and I mean we have some we have some pretty amazing film. My favorite film in the Arab program this year is called The Worthy. I've never seen a dark post apocalyptic sci fi movie from the United Arab Emirates. I can officially say this is the first one of those I've ever seen, and it blew me away. I don't like saying it's like an Arabic Mad Max is a little little bit of a, a an overstatement, understatement, not sure which way I want to go on that. I was blown away by it. I absolutely blown away by it. The Worthy is, 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 is just something really special. And so many of these are U.S. premieres, too. That's like, that's the other amazing thing about working with the, the Arab, uh, the, the Arab American National Museum is that you get Ali and the Goat and Ibrahim as a U.S. premiere. Almost every film in our Arab shorts program is a U.S. premiere. The Dark Wind is a Michigan premiere. Clash is a Michigan premiere, which we're playing that a whole bunch of times as well. Hetty is a Michigan premiere. Maybe there are more Michigan premieres than anything. In Syria is, is is another premiere. I mean, this is just like the list goes on. There's so many films in this Arab short film festival too. You know, there's short films that play before feature films in the Arab film festival. Arab films are, used to be, they used to say that Walt Disney in America, Miyazaki in Japan great Russian illustrators and like the fourth greatest and, and I wish we found more animated films. I really do. But one of the, one of the greatest contributions to the Arab from the Arab peninsula, the film is, is animation. So just having this history of film in, in this culture, just again, not to not celebrate it, to not bring it to the festival, it would just be a myth. Well, it feels like there's a lot of synergy there when I, you know, you're talking about the film uh, in between, and that's not necessarily part of the Arab Film Festival, but it deals with Arabic people. And then you're talking about uprising being a, a major theme of Cinetopia. And, of course, there's so many uprisings happening, and you even have uh, the film in Syria as part of the Arab Film Festival. So it really does feel like the two are really well put together. It's a weird tightrope to walk because you don't want to be like overly heavy with this stuff. The idea of uprising can be really heavy. How do you walk that typewrite with a subject matter that that's heavy? I'm not an expert. I mean, I'm not, I, I can't even begin to like think about, you know, all the places in the world right now where uprising is happening. I can't even begin to imagine what's, what, what's going on out there in the world. But the thing for me is that, is, is that personal uprising. The thing for me is that I, again, I, it's, so Tribal Justice is a film that's in the festival this year. And I can't remember if I saw this. It's in Tribal Justice or I, I read it somewhere after watching the movie. But it's like the most marginalized people, the most persecuted people in North America are Native Americans. 
higher degrees of incarceration and, and substance abuse. And it's just like the list goes on and on and on for people. Here's this documentary that says, hey, let's go back and listen to our elders. Let's go back and start taking care of people by looking at how things used to be for us. Let's, let, you know, let's emphasize restoration and rehabilitation instead of punishment and incarceration. As a guy who sees a lot of movies and in, in my, you know, 365 day a year job to get, I get a lot of unsolicited screeners sent my way. I'm sure you do too. Um, you know, there's good things and there's bad things. And you see, you know, to get to that one really great thing, you maybe have to go through like 30 really bad things. And it would be really easy for me to dismiss a film like Tribal Justice as just another one of those feel-good community p- groups, you know, made a movie. It's got a narrow focus, but it's awesome. It's eye-opening. It's kind of groundbreaking for its the grit it has in terms of, like, it has a voice, a very, very, very clear and articulate voice. It's funny, the director and make peace. We were trying to, we're doing four screenings of it. And each screening has a, essentially a different subject and panel discussion afterwards about native justice, native courts, um, tribal courts, I guess is a better way to say that. And one of the things we originally talked about with Anne Makepeace was, well, let's just do a very tra- traditional, very, you know, tell me about making the movie. How, what is going on with these people? How'd you get, you know, just let's do a very, a very standard film festival thing. Let's not do, let's not do, all of these being big sort of like social change conversations. And she said, no, she said, those have been done to death. Talking about me as a woman filmmaker has been done to death. What, what, what is there to learn? And even, I think that is even a part of uprising. I thought it was a really like, I don't know if three years ago, I mean, I feel three years ago, they would have made a film festival have that conversation about female filmmakers. And now it's just like, yeah, let's talk about that. That's a conversation. But let's talk about some real stuff. And I, that's what I appreciate about this film. It wants to talk about the real stuff. Females in film are great. Um, we need more. We need. We need more female film filmmakers. We need more female screenwriters. We need, you know, women in Hollywood should make the same as women everywhere should make the same as men. But let's talk about right now. Let's talk about the social injustices that are happening in these communities. Let's talk about how these people are marginalized. Let's talk about the road to justice for some of these people. Let's talk about how we ended up where we're at on this road. Let's talk about the lens at which people view natives, the lens at which people view African-Americans, the lens in which we view Hispanics in this country. Let's talk about that lens. We can talk about film and making films at some point later. Right now, let's talk about the people that actually every day get up and have to deal with this stuff. In years past, you've had symposiums where you've talked about the works of Orson Welles, about Robert Altman. What's going on with that kind of track this year? So the University of Michigan Screen Arts and Cultures has uh, what they call their Mavericks and Makers collection. Like you said, it's Robert Altman, it's John Sayles, it's Orson Welles. I mean, it's like a Mount Rushmore of great, great film directors. But there's also Ira Deutschman. Ira Deutschman produced The Player. Ira Deutschman produced My Own Private Idaho. Ira Deutschman started Fine Line Features. Ira Deutschman has been around in Hollywood since the late the late sixties, you know, we're in the middle of the Michigan theater right now. By the time this drops, you know, the series will be over, but we t- I was a friend of ours. I was a friend of ours in the Michigan theater. Uh, complete. We had, we didn't push for Ira to be in the Maverick of makers collection. He just ended up there. We didn't push for Ira to be part of the symposium this year. He just ended up there. And Ira is a good friend of ours um, already. So we're doing this art house classic series that we call cinema revolution. And they're films that, 
overwhelmingly Ira touch. Again, my own private Idaho, um, the player brother from another planet, Harlan County, USA. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. We could talk about a few films that he just were sort of, um, you know, he, he, I talked to him about growing up in the sort of cinema of his youth and sort of when he had his sort of cinema awakening and it was films like Satyricon and Putney Swope. And it's funny hearing him say that and then going back and looking at his, his canon. Yeah. He totally was influenced by that stuff. You could like a clear line between his influences and where he ended up. So this year we're showing um, three films that Ira Deutschman was personally involved with sex lies and videotape June 5th. And then, um, you're not going to see it in your guide, but what film is coming and we're going to do this deluxe brand new restoration of Metropolitan, which if you haven't seen Metropolitan, it's a, it's a classic. It's like a classic, classic, a, a thinking man's class. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just an amazing movie. Um, so what Stillman will be in Ann Arbor at a screening of, um, uh, of Metropolitan. And it actually got moved to, we were going to do that on Tuesday, the 6th, but that's actually going to be on uh, Monday, June 5th. And then, on June 6th, though, the the third film we'll be doing as part of the symposium is we're going to be doing Hoop Dreams. Ira Deutsch, I don't know if, you're, if you've seen Hoop Dreams. If you haven't seen Hoop Dreams yet, you should probably turn this podcast off and go see Hoop Dreams. It's, if there was a Mount Rushmore of documentaries, Hoop Dreams would be on it. Steve James will be there. Steve James is the director of Hoop Dreams. He's also just recently at the Freak Film Festival with, um, is it called Abacus? This is the newest film. And so there's going to be some screenings, but there's also going to be some panels. There's a panel on working with Ira Deutschman. There's a, a whole Hoop Dreams panel. Hoop Dreams will be free at Cinetopia. We, we think it's such a classic film and an amazing film that we want to just give it away. Come to the symposium beforehand and hear Ira Deutschman and Steve James and others talk about how why Hoop Dreams is important and the making of Hoop Dreams. And I'll, I'm thrilled to be able to bring that. You know, we're also going to have, I mean, there's just, there's just lots of other stuff going on during the symposium. I mean, Ira's, connection to film and film history is so deep but he's a guy that no one i mean he even says this he's, who's ira deutschman no one, i mean like you don't know ira deutschman but you do know ira deutschman he's responsible for some of the greatest independent cinema ever made start in the middle of his career at sex lies and videotape you could start there but i mean he goes even further back so ira deutschman he's, great, he's like the nicest guy in the world too which is, it makes it even better there's a couple of individual titles I want to uh, question you about as far as because I'm not familiar with them at all, but they seem very interesting. One yeah. called I Knew Her Well. So I Knew Her Well is part of the uh, uh, cinema retrovato. Man, you're going to make me speak Italian. This is not going to go well. I Knew Her Well. So, the cine- so I should got to set up um, cinema retrovato real quick. So cinema retrovato is a renowned 30 year old film, Italian film festival. Um, they set up a screen in the middle of town and they just show a bunch of classic movies. I Knew Her Well is it's La Dolce Vita that never achieved the, the success that La Dolce Vita did. Um, 1965 Italian film n- never got American distribution. And it's just sort of like one of the, you know, I mean, it was thought to be lost for a whole number of years. And it's just a classics of, of 60s Italian cinema. It, it, I mean, to show it, I mean, you can, you can just go down the list of the films we're showing for, from Cinema Retrovato. I knew her well. Memories of the underdevelopment yeah, from Cuba, another film that was thought to be lost. The 90th Counting Years, which is also count, called The Mummy, you know, this amazing Egyptian film. The director's cut of Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in America with a four-hour runtime. And then this collection of shorts from 1915 to 1917 called Rhapsody of Satanica, which were, again, is free at the DIA. It's funny, one of the earliest comments we got the day we launched our program, I, I'm a stickler for like 
as much as I try not to read the reviews, I read the reviews. And one of the we've posted, hey, here's our here's our here's our here's our lineup. And the very first comment was like, it's not it's just a bunch of old movies. Well, it's not. All of these old movies that you see have never been seen in America. I mean, this made like the first time. Like, listen, I'm the guy who just said I've seen over 200 movies since January. I've never seen the four-hour director's cut of Once Upon a Time in America, and I've probably seen Once Upon a Time in America 20 times. I've never seen... That's the only movie from Cinema Retrovato that I've actually ever seen. I've heard of The Mummy. I've heard of Memories of Underdevelopment. I've never seen them. They haven't been available to see. So here they are in new restorations. I'd be crazy to turn something down like this, to not show this stuff, because I'm a big believer in the idea that if I go into somebody's house in, and in this case, like if I if I go to the DIA, the DFT, the Detroit Film Theater, and I go into Elliot Wilhelm's theater and try to tell him what he should be playing, I'm a fool. He knows way better than me. He knows he knows what the what his audience looks like. And so this is just again our way of trying to be trying to be true to the audience. You know, just in the same breath that I say, you know, going to the Arab American Museum and having this sort of cutting edge modern. Arab film program happened there in the same breath as the same thing we do at the DFT. Here's our, here are the great classics of restoration. I think restoration is going to be a thing that Cinetopia is going to have to start celebrating more than ever as, you know, every year we're saving and finding films that have thought to have been lost or completely destroyed. So again, that's just our opportunity to talk about film, you know, sort of 360 degrees, restorations, classic films, Arab films, film festivals, you know, we like to say like Cinetopia is, an, is like you took the Michigan theaters programming and you condensed it, you know, down to 11 days. That's what we hope it feels like or any really, really great American art house. So I'm pretty excited for that screening of Once Upon a Time in America. I'm not going to lie. That is totally the one where I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is showing. Yeah, we uh, I told Elliot that when I I scheduled myself for, you know, for the Q&A's and the introductions and stuff I have to do during the festival, I'm. I have not scheduled myself for the four hours and during which that I've scheduled myself to introduce that movie with Elliot. And uh, then I will leave the stage and go into the theater and watch it. And at the intermission run to whatever movie I, need, I can fit into introduce and then run back and, and watch the rest. It's a classic. And to see it, to see his vision, to see Leon's vision of that movie, I don't know what other chance you'd get to see that. And especially coming, I mean, cinema retrovato is, basically the same weekend as Cinetopia. So to get a movie that's playing across an ocean at the same time and have them let us do it here in Detroit, I think that's really cool. One other one that really stood out for me was the film uh, documentary 44 Pages. 44 Pages is a documentary um, about highlights for children. You've ever been to a dentist's office? If you were a kid, if you've ever been to a dentist's office or an op- optometrist, you read Highlights for Children. You may remember The Timber Toes. You may remember Goofus and Gallant. I mean, Highlights for Children is like what? An institution, right? I mean, it, it's an American institution, but you don't really think about it. You don't ever think about its, its reach in society. It's a print version of Sesame Street. So here's this documentary it's produced by Rebecca Green, uh, who's a local, you know, Rebecca Green. It's basically just about how they've, been making this magazine since 1946. My degree is in children's literature. And one of the things I believe about, about children's media in general is that when you say children, children's apostrophe S, it denotes, it denotes an ownership. But if you don't think about the, if you don't think about the kids, if the children don't own it, if the children don't 
have a hand in? If you don't think about them when you're putting it together, is it really for them? Do they ever really feel an ownership of it? And this documentary makes me think that every single person who works at Highlights for Children, every writer, every person who works in the marketing department, everybody, every single person actively cares about children, actively cares about how they learn, actively cares about what they're into and actively wants Highlights for Children to be a magazine that's for children, not for the adults in their lives, but for them. And I think that really comes through in this film. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of tremendous uh, that a film about Highlights for Children hadn't been made yet. Technology is like the next big thing for kids, right? I mean, I have a three-year-old, so I'm sure there are a lot of parents who say you shouldn't, your kids shouldn't have an iPad. But I believe that we're about to have the biggest generation of visual learners the world has ever, ever seen. And I'm a parent, and I think that I can't imagine how it would feel if I was a, somebody who published a magazine specifically aimed at children. And so I think that to even gra- for them to even grapple with that, like what you see in this movie, how they grapple with technology and how to expand this print magazine for children to, into a world that we more and more tell parents you shouldn't give your kids access to that stuff. So it, it, at the same time, they're also dealing with the fact that when I was a kid, they didn't talk about LGBT issues in Highlights for Children. They didn't talk about transgender issues. They didn't talk about racial sensitivity in Highlights for Children because that kind of stuff was swept under the rug when I was a kid. Well, you can't sweep that stuff under the rug anymore. The, the editors of Highlights for Children like face, or tackle that stuff head on, and they talk about that in that movie. It's important to talk to kids about that stuff. And if you're an educational magazine like Highlights for Children is, I keep calling it Highlights for Children. Highlights is, and they, they want to deal with it. They want to talk to kids. It's important. It's a part of everyday life now. And I mean, it's just, and besides that, it's a sweet documentary. I can get into all the social stuff around, around 44 pages, or I can get into the fact that, you know, talking at length about visual literacy and what it means for kids to understand how a movie works or how an eye something on an iPad works and how it's great that highlights your children, highlights your children is trying to figure that out. At the end of the day, they make a really, really high quality magazine that's audience as children. And since 1946, it's thoroughly delivered to its audience. I don't think there's anybody in America who doesn't know that what a cover of highlights for children, highlights for children looks like. You can see the font in your head. You can see the slight angle of the color blocking at the top and the image at the Like in my head, I could probably describe to you every single Highlights magazine cover because at a certain point, they're all the same. But that's, I think that's also part of the deal. It is the comfort in that for a kid. So I love 44 pages. I'm really lucky that one of my colleagues, one of, the, one of my uh, folks on the programming team is really close with the, the team that made it. Um, so I was able to see it really early on and highlights for children is an American institution. I mean, it's Coca-Cola, it's Levi's. And again, I'm, I'm shocked there hadn't been a movie about it until now. Last year, you exposed me to one of my now favorite movies, which is the lore, AKA Corky's yeah. dancing goat. Is there anything of that caliber as fraud. far as a cult movie? Yeah. Fraud, fraud. Okay. So I have two. And they're actually kind of connected because they, they share a producer. I was at the True Fault Film Festival in March, and I saw this movie called Rat Film. And I've never seen a movie like Rat Film. Rat Film is a documentary on rats. It's also a, a documentary on Baltimore's institutionalized racism. And you've never seen anything like it. You've never seen the documentary like Rat Film. It is, it's not a documentary about rats. I mean, it is. I guess it is. It's a documentary about institutionalized, institutionalized anything um, in the city of Baltimore, seemingly. 
Um, there's a scene in this movie, and I don't want to spoil it for you because it's kind of amazing, but they overlay maps that are basically were made every 20 years of, of the city of Baltimore and where poverty is and housing values and all these things. And it, and then if you overlay those maps on the with a, a sort of map that they made about the rat population of Baltimore and you lay them over top of each other, they've been exactly the same for a hundred years, over a hundred years. And it blew my mind. And everybody I talked to, everybody that I had watched rat, rat film, and so we could have the conversation about it, said the same thing. That map scene blew my mind. Because it's like you don't, I don't know how more cut and dry they can make it uh, in terms of like, there's a problem. That's a problem. And then the other film is Fraud. I don't think anybody's ready for fraud, to be honest for you, to be honest with you. Um, fraud is a one hour found footage movie. That's a documentary. And I really am going to struggle on how to talk about it. Cause I really, 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 I really don't want to spoil it. The director, Dean Fleischerkamp, he found some footage of a family on vacation on YouTube. It's just them, their iPhones, totally normal family vacation footage stuff. And he made it into something else completely. And I think I have to warn people before we screen it that they might throw up because uh, I must admit, I'm a sucker for found footage movies. I think, I mean, if you, history's lit, history of cinema is littered with found footage movies all over if you already. So if you're pretending that this is a new fad, you've, you've missed it. I mean, Cannibal Holocaust is what, 40 years old at this point. Um, so. So it's a found footage movie. I think that a lot of, turns a lot of people off. I've never seen a movie like this, like made like this before. I've never seen a found footage movie. I mean, all of this footage is real. Like it's a real found footage movie. It's what you, the director did with it that elevates it to a different level. Um, like so, yeah, Rat Film and Fraud are probably my two favorite movies uh, in the festival that sort of fit with that vibe of the lure. I wish I had a big psychedelic musical this year. I don't, maybe next year. Um, but in terms of like, I mean, fraud, will, I, this is one of the, the benefits of a film festival. You're not going to walk into, you know, the multiplex and see a movie like fraud. There's a, there's a certain element that, you know, you're going to see it in a film festival. And that's just, that's the spot to see it. Um, my coworkers had read another film festival and they saw it and they, people on my programming team and they came back and like, you got to see fraud, you got to see fraud. And I just sort of put it in the middle of the pile. And then I saw Fraud and I moved it to the top of the booking list because it's just, there's so many things in that movie where it's like, I don't know if this is, I mean, I'm, I was told this is real. Maybe there's a little sleight of hand here. It's just, it, you should see Fraud. Everybody who's listening, when this drops, I heard that's the right term to use. When this drops, turn off this podcast and go see Fraud. <laughs> Well, the one that you don't have to tell me about, because I saw it at the Kansas City Film Festival, but I just want to make sure that people are aware of that is amazing, is Patty Cakes. Mm-hmm. I did not think I was going to like Patty Cakes nearly as much as I did, and wow, I was blown away by that film. We saw Patty Cakes at Sundance, and it was like... So how we, how we schedule Sundance is like, I may be a little too anal about this, but like, if you go to Sundance with me, I make your schedule. I pick up, I, you can tell me what you want to see and I'll do my best to get it there. But to me, it's about coverage. And this year we saw as a, as a programming team for Cinetopa, we saw something like 85% of the films at Sundance, which is to us is really good. But we saw Patty, I, I read the description of Patty Cakes and I was like, 
Eon. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that movie is amazing. That movie is that movie is going to be the hit of the summer, right? Like, like one of the things I, I, it's funny in the last couple of days, I had a lot of people tell me about how last year Captain Fantastic was a movie that blew people away, which is great because Viggo Mortensen is stupendous in that movie or a movie like uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. These sort of movies that I think people would have discovered, uh, but it's also nice to play them in a film festival. I think Patty Cakes is that. I think Patty Cakes is this year's Hunt for the Wilder People or or Captain Captain Fantastic. If you needed sort of like a feel good, I guess for lack of a better word, feel good movie, something that with a lot of heart and a lot of determination in it, like that that's Patty Cakes. Like good call. It's a great movie. It's a really great movie. When are the dates for the Cinetopia Film Festival? Cinetopia runs June first through the eleventh. A little different this year. June first, second, third, and fourth. Proper is the film festival proper in Ann Arbor. The 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th is sort of the bridge between the two. So we'll have some screenings in Ann Arbor, some screenings in Dearborn, a couple screenings in in Detroit. We're also this year, as uh, we're screening the the film Look and See, A Portrait of Wendell Berry, a documentary on the, the poet and uh, farming advocate Wendell Berry. We're going to screen that at Corman Farms with our friends at Zingerman. That screening will be on um, Wednesday the 7th at Corman Farms. And then we, we sort of go into Detroit proper on the 8th or on the 9th, 10th, and 11th. It's, you know, 65 movies, over 60 movies. It's, God, I don't know, even know how many screenings I have in here anymore. Over, oh, well over 100 screenings, probably teetering on 150 plus screenings at this point as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, again, our sixth year. We, we love doing this. I mean, it's easy to sit back and be content when you have a big old, 1927 art house movie theater and you could just show movies and you don't have to but you know to us it's film is what we love film is our passion to be able to share as many films you know that was, i can't even tell you how many films get made in a year how many films get released in a year in our 365 day year programming world at the michigan theater we show a very very small percentage of those films and so cinetopia helps us to even show even a little more make our smaller percentage a little a little higher but still pretty small of films that people don't might not ever discover on their own. You know, you're always going to find you're always going to go to a, 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 film, a festival like Sundance and see a movie that you just see it. You see the hit coming a mile away, and you know it's going to get. I mean, it's hard. I, I remember when I saw Beasts of the Southern Wild for the first time, and that scene where she runs towards the camera at the beginning with the fireworks in her hand, and seeing that and going, "This movie is going to be huge. This movie is going to be." I mean, people aren't ready for this, and it's not a film that that. It's a film that will have to find its audience, but it's a film that will find its audience very easily because that audience has been looking for a film like that. And I think that that's like the appeal of Cinetopia for me is a film that knows that its audience is out there and you just help connect the dots for them. You find the, you, you, you get the film to the audience and you get the audience to the film. And that's, that's what, that's what I love about Cinetopia. And where's the best place for people to go and find out more information, get the schedule and buy tickets online? I would go to cinetopiafestival.org. I would follow us on Facebook. I would follow us on Twitter. I'm a big believer in Twitter. I think we have an Instagram account. Uh, but cinetopiafestival.org will have the schedule, have the listing of movies. You can buy tickets there. You can get a pass there. I don't know why someone wouldn't buy a pass to go to a film festival in this day and age. If you go to a movie, let's say you went to Patty Cakes and you hated it and you decided to leave after 20 minutes with a pass, just go see something else, you goof go see another movie you have a pass there's no reason you can't see 20 movies at cinetopia this year it's funny we just did an event where 
people were like, it's like a competition now. How many movies you can see at Cinetopia? And I think the highest number I heard was 21, which I go, oh, yeah, 21, not bad. Because uh, <laughs> I'll see way more than that at a festival. But I'm a professional, so... But yeah, I mean, get a pass. Get a, I, I can't say that enough. Like a pass is a deal for like, I don't know, you know how much a pass costs off the top of my head. But if you go see one, if you buy a pass and you see one movie, well, that's goofy. But if you buy a pass and you go see 20 movies, I mean, that makes your per ticket price like something like $5 a movie ticket. I mean, that's like, that's a Tuesday matinee at a, at a multiplex. And it's a movie that you've never seen that most people maybe not may not it may be your become your favorite movie and you wouldn't have seen it any other way good argument for passes passes come on people buy passes well thank you so much for your time brian it was a real pleasure to talk to you as always and i hope people will go and check out the cinetopia film festival it is always a great time and i'm looking forward to going and checking out a lot of these movies maybe not 20 i'm not sure if my schedule will allow that but i'll be there seeing your intro to once upon a time in america for sure i'll make sure you get a pass how about that I'm going to make it a pass. I'm going to get you a pass because I want you to see 25 movies this year. I want you to clear your calendar, take some time off, quit your job. <laughs> job and podcast and babysitting. Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, get put it, put it all away. Everyone, you know, podcast, turn off the SoundCloud, and let's watch the movies. Mm-hmm.